Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, bringing the world's top experts right to you. Introducing your hosts, Matt Bodner and Austin Fable. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 5 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we bring former Buried Life star Ben Nemton onto the show to discuss one of the most important questions of our lives. What do you want to do before you die? Are you a fan of the show and have you been enjoying the content that we put together for you? If you have, I would love it if you signed up for our email list. We have some amazing content on there along with a really great free course that we put a ton of time into called How to Create Time for What Matters Most in Your Life. If that sounds exciting and interesting and you want a bunch of other free goodies and giveaways along with that, just go to successpodcast.com. You can sign up right on the homepage. That's successpodcast.com. Or if you're on your phone right now, all you have to do is text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number four four. In our previous episode, we brought on mental toughness expert Amy Morin to discuss how to help you and your family be more mentally strong. Now for our interview with Ben. Ben Nempton is a number one New York Times bestselling author, co-founder of the Buried Life Movement, and an inspirational keynote speaker. He's delivered over 500 keynotes to brands and Fortune 500 companies around the globe. In 2019, Ben was named in the world's top 30 organizational culture professionals by Global Gurus, and his message of radical possibility has been featured on major media outlets, including the Today Show, the Oprah Winfrey Show, CNN, ABC, NBC, and many more media outlets. Ben, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you on the show. 
As we were talking a little bit about in the pre-show, I have been a fan and viewer of Buried Life and, and everything that you guys have been doing for the last 10 years at least. So it's great to finally uh, to bring you on the Science of Success. Thank you. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so it comes full circle. You're very kind. Well, I'd love to start out with this question that you guys opened the show with and the title of your book to me is a question that is probably one of the most, if not the most important questions in our entire lives. And it's something that I would say most people probably never ask themselves. First of all, what is the question? And second of all, what initially led you to ask that of yourself? I'm first of all so glad that you feel that way because I feel the same way too. The question is, what do you want to do before you die? And I think that a lot of people don't think about their death because it's uncomfortable to think about. You know, it's you, to digest your mortality is something that is for just most of us something that it's not the most fun thing to think about. But it's I believe it's truly important because it forces you to put things in perspective. It forces you to understand that your time is limited and to prioritize the things that you truly want to do in your life. And the, the reality is that most people at the end of their life, they don't regret the things that they did. They regret the things they didn't do. And I think it's because, well, we can get into why this happens. It's for many reasons. But one of the reasons I believe is that we don't really think about the end of our life very often. And so we were lucky as college kids to stumble across this question. And the way that it came about so I was in university. I grew up in Canada, in Victoria, BC. And at that point in my life, things were really good. I was had an academic scholarship to a great university. I was playing at a pretty high level for the under-19 national rugby team. In Canada, rugby, especially on the West Coast, is a big sport. So it's like you either play hockey or hockey or rugby. And so I was, you know, living what I thought was my dream, I guess. And but I put a lot of pressure on myself and this pressure built up and we were training for the World Cup, which was in Paris, France. And I played the fly half, which is like you're like the quarterback and the field goal kicker. And it's a very, you know, high pressure position. And I started worrying about my field goals. I was like, what if I miss an easy field goal right in front of the goalposts and blow this opportunity? Like This is the once in a lifetime opportunity. What if I shank a kick and it's it's over? And I would think about this at night and I couldn't sleep. And this lack of sleep and this anxiety that I was feeling about the trip and this pressure that I put on myself, I slowly found myself sliding into a depression and I couldn't go to school. I would drive to school and I, I was stuck in my car. I couldn't get out of the car and go to school. So I dropped out of school. I couldn't go to rugby practice because my anxiety just stopped me. And so I got dropped from the national rugby team. And before I knew it, I was a shut in in my parents' house and I couldn't even really leave the house. And for someone that was typically a type personality, I had a you know high energy group of friends, a supportive family. I was a hermit in my parents' house, and my parents would just you know encourage me to just go for a walk every day, and and that was my activity. And I was crippled by this, and and felt like this for many months. And ultimately, my friends convinced me to come work with them in a new town for the summer. After this semester, I dropped out of, and I I went to this new town and slowly started to come out of these feelings. And there were many things that contributed to my recovery, which we can speak to, or I can speak to later on. But right away, I got a job, so I started feeling some self worth. I started talking about what I was going through to my friends, and realized that they had gone through something similar or had their own struggles. And I, you know, I never really understood that. I thought I was completely on my own in these feelings, and I also started to meet young people that were inspiring. So 
kids that had started their own businesses or they had traveled around the world. And I'd never really met young people like this. And I realized they gave me energy. So I started to understand that, well, some people give me energy and some people take energy from me. And after that summer away, I thought, I'm going to try and only surround myself with people that give me energy, only people that inspire me. And that changed my life. Literally that one small decision to try and surround myself with people that inspire me changed the trajectory of my life because I consciously sought out those relationships. And one of the kids that inspired me was a filmmaker and he lived in my neighborhood and secretly I'd always wanted to make a movie and his name is Johnny. And so I called up Johnny and I said, Hey Johnny, let's make a movie. And we got two other buddies sort of involved in this movie making mission. And we had no idea what the movie was going to be about, but we all had all these things that we always wanted to do. And for some reason we'd never done any of them. So it felt like they were buried and serendipitously Johnny was in a freshman English class at university and he got assigned a poem called the buried life. And the poem was a 150 year old poem written by an old English author poet named Matthew Arnold. And this poem spoke to the same feeling we had been talking about, which is we had all these things that we want to do, but we hadn't done them because they were buried. And we had moments when we're inspired, but that got buried by the day to day. And so we thought, okay, we're going to call this movie, The Buried Life, but how do we unbury these dreams? And that's how we got to the question, what do you want to do before you die? Because for us, the thought of death, it snapped things into perspective. And when we sat down and thought about this question, the bucket list formed from that. So our bucket list was our answers to the question, what do you want to do before you die? And when we wrote our list together, we pretend, well, we had two rules. The first rule, you had to pretend you had $10 million in your bank. And the second rule, you had to pretend that you could do anything. So we had outrageous dreams on our bucket list. Go to space, play basketball with President Obama, make a TV show, write a number one New York Times bestseller, sit with Oprah, you know, pay off our parents' mortgage. And we, <laughs> we thought, okay, there's no way we can accomplish any of these things on our own. We're going to need the help of other people. So how about every time we cross something off our list, we'll help a total stranger that we meet cross something off their bucket list. And that's what our movie will be. We'll go on a road trip. We'll cross things off our list. And then we'll ask strangers the question, what do you want to do before you die? And if we can help them, then we will. And so this is back in 2006. And we didn't have any money. So we worked a job throughout the summer so we could save up to take two weeks off at the end of summer to go after a list and help other people. We threw parties as fundraisers. We cold call companies pretending we had a production company. We bought a camera on eBay. We built a website with our 100 dreams and a contact page. And we hit the road in a borrowed RV <laughs> that the mechanic said would not make it back. You know, hit up local shops like a skate shop for skateboards to give away. A juice company gave us juices to live off of. <laughs> Red Bull gave us Red Bulls. A granola bar company gave us granola bars. And we had enough money for gas through the fundraisers. And we hit the road. And what happened, which was completely unexpected, is that strangers started to hear about our mission and they wanted to help us accomplish all the things on our list. So all of a sudden, we got emails of people saying, I saw number nine ride a bull. You know, my uncle has a bull ranch. He can get you on a bull. Or I saw number 42 make a toast at a stranger's wedding. My best friend's getting married. I'm the best man. I can get you in. <laughs> right? And then we got flooded with dreams asking for our help. I've always dreamed of flying a fighter jet. Can you guys help? I've always dreamed of singing a duet with Beyonce or riding a horse through a drive-thru. And we suddenly had this moment where we're like, oh my God, what, like, what's happening? And it became 
provincial news, national news, you know, and started to really hit a chord. And so after that trip, we thought, wow, this is supposed to be two weeks. Like we got to keep doing this. And that's how the journey began in 2006. It's amazing. And the, I mean, it's, it's so inspirational. Just, I mean, to go back and watch some of the episodes of the show, I'm curious, the original sort of two week journey, did you, I'm assuming that's not what ended up on the TV show, right? That was sort of a, a precursor to that. What happened with the film? How did that pan out? Yeah. So the short answer is we're still filming it. <laughs> you know? okay. So what the timeline was, it's a good question. Some of the clips in the intro are from that first road trip, but what ended up happening was we did the first two week road trip in 2006. We thought we got to do this again next summer. That was way too fun. <laughs> so we ended up saving up and working throughout the two semesters so that we could buy an old purple transit bus that ended up being in the show. We named her Penelope and we bought Penelope off a nudist in Vancouver. (laughs) So we probably got a good deal and we put bunks in the back. And the next summer we did a two month road trip through the U S and we had gotten sponsors on board. So we got a film crew from LA to follow us this time went to Burning Man in 2007, sung the national anthem at an NBA stadium, rode the bull and helped people in really, really cool ways. And ultimately, we, there was a sort of a, a moment where we thought, okay, we have a, a decision to make. We can continue to do this for fun, sort of as a hobby, or we can really go for it and like double down and go after these impossible list items, like make a TV show and you know, and really make a TV show was our biggest dream at that time. And so that's what we did. And we doubled down. And although I'd gotten back into school, I dropped out of school and I started doing trips down to LA, learning the industry. And we made a pilot and Johnny edited the pilot. And we had, we had crashed the MTV video awards in Vegas one year in matching suits, women's suits that we found at a thrift store, got in with our purple bus and snuck into the awards. It was a totally ridiculous stunt. We ended up using that as our pilot story and sold it to MTV and they didn't know that we had crashed the video awards. And so for the show, we went and filmed, you know, all new list items and, but we did use some of that early footage in some of the intros and stuff like that to kind of tell the story. But we were starting to learn that this idea of a bucket list was really starting to to morph into a way to live your life. And the list was a device and a mechanism to remind you of the things that are important to your life, in your life, because it's human nature to feel buried. You know, life always gets in the way of the things that personally you want to do because there's no deadlines for your personal goals. So you always push them. And so, you know, this list evolved into this, this lifestyle, which I think, has worked for me to really help remind me of the things that are important in my life. But it's, yeah, it was, it's been a wild journey and uh, we've accomplished some things that really, I feel like we have no business <laughs> doing, but it's been an incredible, incredible time. You made so many good points and things that I want to explore a little bit more, but even just that notion that looking at our own mortality, which a lot of us are afraid to look at, can serve as a forcing function that helps unearth those moments of inspiration that just get buried in our day-to-day existence. That's such yeah. a critical takeaway. Why do you think it is that we constantly let those things just lapse and say, yeah, one day I want to do that. And then most cases at the end of your life, you look back and say, well, I never did all of those things. So there's a great article 
that's written by a psychologist named Tom Gilovich, who's a professor at Cornell, and he ran a few academic studies and he wrote it in the psychology journal Emotion. It's called The Ideal Road Not Taken. And he looks at, it's such a fascinating and powerful article because he finds that people at the end of their life don't regret those things they did. They actually have regrets of inaction. And he found that when he asked people on their deathbed, what's your single biggest regret in your entire life? 76% of people had the exact same answer. And that answer was, I regret not living my ideal self. So living the life someone else wanted for me versus the one that I wanted to. And that stat really changed my mission or it re-energized me around the idea that my goal is to get more people into that minority that end their life thinking, you know what? I did the things that I want to do, or at least I tried. So I don't regret the inaction because I can't imagine ending my life that way. I mean, I feel as though that would be something that would be difficult to grapple with at the end of your life. And so, and the reason why this happens, it's really three reasons why we indefinitely push our personal goals. The first thing is that there are no deadlines for personal goals. So we say, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next week or next year because something else has come up that's more important. Whereas with things like professional goals, we have all these structures of accountability to drive us forward. So we need to create accountability around our personal goals to drive us forward. How do we do that? We write down our goals. That creates a bit of accountability. We share our goals because then we feel accountable to the people we just shared our goals with, right? If you tell your good friend, hey, I'm going to start writing my book this year, you're a little bit closer to starting that book. If you tell all your social media followers, I am committed to starting my book. I'm going to write it this year. You feel even more accountable. So that helps. If you want to increase your chances by 77%, you have an accountability buddy checking in with you down the line. So that's the first hurdle is there's no accountability. The second is we usually wait to feel inspired to go after those personal goals. But that inspiration really just hits us out of the blue. You know, we don't feel inspired to pick up the guitar and learn to play. We get inspired because we start to play and we feel inspired by doing it. So by taking small steps towards your goal, even if you don't know how you're going to end up on stage playing that guitar, you don't know how you're going to achieve your end result. doesn't matter. Those initial small steps start to build inspiration. So you're the architect of your own inspiration by taking steps of action. And I think that we've all experienced that in some way, shape or form where we have no idea how we're going to achieve it, but we just start and you just, you don't even know what the second step is. You just take the first step and you figure out the second step after the first. And so that's how you build momentum and move through that stagnation of waiting to feel, all right, I'm ready. Cause you're never really ready. You just got to start. And then the third thing that stops us and why we have regrets at the end of our life is actually is the biggest or at least this is what Tom Gilovich found to be the biggest barrier is fear. And, you know, no surprise there. It's the fear of what other people think or the fear of failure. And I think that it's interesting to kind of look at those two fears from a 10,000 foot view or zoom out and say, okay, let's look at the fear of what other people think. This is a common fear that we all feel. But if you really think about it, people are just thinking about you much less than you think they are <laughs> because they're so busy living their life, worried about what other people think about them. There's, there's that joke. In my 20s, I was worried about what other people thought. In my 40s, 
I didn't care what other people thought. In my 60s, I realized they were never thinking about me in the first place. <laughs> so it's like, you know, that fear is, as long as your basic needs are met, it, it's sometimes more of a made up fear. And the fear of failure, we all feel it, you know, and I think it's important to note that like that doesn't go away. But if you're afraid to go after your goal or you're waiting for the right time, you failed, right? You didn't achieve your goal. So at least when you try and you fail, you really outweigh any potential hit to your reputation. And so the things that stop us, there's no deadlines. So we've got to create accountability. We wait for inspiration. So we've got to create inspiration through action. And we got to define which fears are real fears versus the ones that are imagined. So many good insights. And even coming back to what you said a minute ago, that it's almost the inverse. This is something that I learned years ago that really transformed my life is that action creates motivation and not the yeah. other way around. And everyone thinks you have to wait to be motivated to take action. But the reality is even the small, really almost just minuscule actions can start to build a slow snowball of momentum that really catapult you towards being in whatever direction you want to move in. Yeah. Ritual has a great quote, mood follows action. And it speaks to that same idea. Yeah. But I, I love this idea of sort of being the architect of your own inspiration instead of waiting for it to happen. Such a good insight. And a corollary of that too, that you touched on, which I know I've fallen prey to this in the past. And, and I think so many of us do is this idea that you have to be ready to start when in reality, it's almost once you pull that veil away and realize that nobody's ready, right? <laughs> <laughs> like it's almost this monumental shift in your being when you understand that everybody to some degree is kind of, you know, just figuring things out as they're doing it. And they're never really ready to take that next big step into whatever they're doing. A thousand percent. And I think that's why it's so powerful to surround yourself with people that inspire you because you can see when your friend does something amazing, you think, wow, I wonder what I could do. When you see someone that you don't know do something amazing, you think, wow, they're better than me. They're smarter than me. They are X, you know, and so, but you know, because you're friends with the person, you know, or you know this person that's done something great, you know that they weren't really ready. You know that they're no different than you. You can relate to them because they're your friend. And it actually elevates your level of thinking almost subconsciously. When you see your friends or your circle accomplishing or doing things that they thought were unattainable or just that you find inspiring, it subconsciously lifts your level of thinking. And I think it's because you get these insights like you just mentioned where you realize, wow, I kind of saw that they just took the leap and they figured it out as they went. They weren't ready, but look at what they're doing. That's inspiring. I remember my friend started a clothing line in high school and I was blown away. I was like, how did you do that? Like, that's amazing. You, you have no experience in fashion. You took out a $10,000 loan. You started this really cool clothing line. Like, can I get involved? And that was the catalyst for me to think, wow, if he did that, what can I do? I was like, I want to make a movie. And so I called Johnny. And so that has been such an important mantra for me because I, I still use it to this day where I lean into relationships with people that inspire me. I, I meet their friends because ultimately that will kind of, you know, continue to add to that circle. So I think that it's something to always kind of think about. And, you know, not everyone has to be that person that inspires you, but I think that it does make a difference. How do you think about, and I'm curious from your own journey and also what you've seen in others, how do you think about starting to actually 
surround yourself with more people who give you mm-hmm. energy and pulling away because in some instances i mean these could be friends or even family members who taking energy away from you how do you think about managing those relationships or those transitions yeah it's tricky especially when it's with family and saying you know oftentimes you can't so i think the awareness is key and to understand let if it's with people like family where you understand okay i know that i need to put up a little bit of an emotional guard here because i know that this is something that drains me and i just need to be aware of that or i need to make sure that i take care of myself first before i take care of other people and i think with your circle regardless there's always an opportunity to lean into those tribes or those groups or those friends that inspire you and if you haven't found those people you're not alone you know and i would say that one thing you can do is you can be active in your pursuit of those things and maybe it can you can search out different people that share a passion that you may share and you can either connect online or in person and start to kind of lean into those different types of of relationships and if you find someone that you get really excited around again you know see if you can meet some of their friends and that's kind of how you go down this rabbit hole of finding people that are like-minded. I think that, you know, especially for those that might be younger, you know, even in high school or college or after, I think sometimes it just takes time to find your crew, your tribe, your group, and that's okay, but don't give up. And I think that, and, you know, you can get discouraged sometimes when you feel like, well, this is all the people that I know and I don't fit in, you know, I don't know how I can find someone that understands me. And I would just say, you know, don't give up. It's a big, big world out there and it's getting more and more connected. And you, you know, just you will find those people that support you, that lift you up, that have those same interests as you. It just takes a little bit of time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And a corollary of this broader notion of surrounding yourself with the right people that to me feels really insightful, especially when, when you were so young to come up to this conclusion that you have to have other people helping you to achieve big goals. And you touched on that earlier, but to me, it's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking 
you have to do everything yourself. And I found that to be a really inspiring piece of the ethos of the journey, the message of Buried Life was it wasn't just about you, it was about helping other people, but also getting help from other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there is no way we would have crossed off any of the list items without the help of other people. And which goes back to the idea of the importance of sharing your goals. If we would never have shared our list, we would have, you know, not achieved any of them because no one would have known how to help us. And we were always blown away by the generosity of others and as it relates to our list and also as it relates to other people's lists. Because keep in mind, if we had no way to accomplish our list, we had no way to accomplish other people's list. The way that we did that was by connecting the dots with people that could help. So we met someone in Kelowna, BC, who needed a truck to start a landscaping business and he, had, he was in and out of a homeless shelter. And we just told his story to a local used car salesman and he gave us a $2,100 truck for $480. And then he paid for the insurance out of his own pocket and we delivered the truck to the gentleman. And you know, that was actually the first person we ever helped on our very first road trip. And we sort of realized, wow, when you give someone a chance to step up and be a hero, they take that a lot of the times. And so we were able to use the generosity of others to help other people and be a conduit. And then over time realized that that was actually more meaningful than our list, you know, even above and beyond the big list items was moments when we shared such a, a meaningful moment of time with someone else when they did that thing that was meant so much to them that, you know, I'm convinced will stick with me until I die. And I think that that's something that we, again, got lucky, I guess, to, when, to stumble upon when we were younger of just being, we just thought it made sense. Like if we were going to accomplish our list, we should help other people uh, do theirs. How do you keep that ethos, that energy alive? You know, I mean, even when I think back, when I watch episodes of Buried Life, I feel this well of inspiration. It's almost the question we asked earlier, how life can just kind of cover these things up and make you forget about them. But how do you, 10 years into this journey or 15 years into this journey at this point, how do you every day or as frequently as possible keep the momentum going when you're not on the bus anymore and you're not out doing that? Maybe mm -hmm. you are doing mm -hmm. it still every day, but mm -hmm. how do you keep that fire alive? One is to tap into my creativity. And a lot of the times when I start to slow down and feel burnt out, I am not expressing a piece of me that I feel like should be coming out. And it usually comes out in a form of creativity. And I think creativity is also an often overlooked pillar of wellness because it's just this true version of yourself that you are letting out and expressing. And so I try and then I get excited about that thing because it's a creative expression of mine. Another thing that I do is I try and, you know, so right now I'm doing a lot of public speaking and the reason why I love speaking even virtually now, but you know, especially when you're in the room with people, it's like you can see people change in the room. And so you can witness this transformation and you can feel that. And it's energizing to sort of help people in some way, shape or form and to experience that. And so I think that, it, you know, in, in all of our lives and when we think about what we're doing, if you can drop back to, okay, what's the impact I'm having on real people? And not just the impact I'm having on maybe my customers, my clients, you know, my colleagues, my 
whomever you may be, you may be helping my listeners, my followers, because that's just one piece of the puzzle. When you help someone, you don't just help that one person, you help the people around them. So you're helping their family, you're helping their friends, you know, so it creates this ripple effect. And I always like to think about the ripple effect because it's such a incredible phenomenon in my mind, because it means small actions can create exponential impact. So it's proof that one person can create this enormous impact through this ripple effect. So you may be walking down the street and you may see someone that like, you know, looks like they're having a bad day and you say, hey, I really love your jacket. It's awesome jacket. You don't know how that's going to affect them. That could literally change their whole day and then change their whole life. Like you don't know. But because every action has a reaction, those reactions can be positive or negative. So if you think about you're feeling uninspired, like what are you doing in your work that is impacting real human beings and come back to that as a source of re, you know, a fuel and re-energize your kind of core purpose and your why. And if you can't think about that in your work, can you do that in the rest of your life? Are there things that you can do to create positive ripples to make an impact? Because especially now when there's sometimes so much that can bring us down and sometimes it feels so overwhelming to the, you know, when you think about, well, how can I make an impact? You can make an impact because of the ripple effect. And that's something that I think is important to keep in mind. That's a really good insight. And it's so true that just having a impacting one person impacts everybody, their family, their friends, everyone they interact with. There's even some really interesting psychology studies around sort of the negative side of that, where you see if somebody you don't even know who's three or four people removed from you in a friend network gets divorced, for example, it raises your probability of getting divorced, right? And there's there's other examples of the of similar things. And, yeah. And so it's I really like the application of that in a positive direction. Yeah, because I think we can all think about people that have made an enormous impact in our lives through small actions, whether it's a teacher or, you know, a family friend or a friend. And that I've experienced myself with my friend starting a clothing line. If my friend, and he wasn't even that good of a friend of mine, like I knew him in high school. If he wouldn't have started his clothing line, Buried Life would not have existed. Straight up. I would never have thought about making a movie. I would never would have called Johnny. We never would have got together. You know, I, mean, I can't say never, but, you know, chances are that was the catalyst that made this whole thing begin. And then you think about the people that were inspired by Buried Life, you know, the people that watched the show, other people that went on to do amazing things, the Yes Theory boys that are doing incredible things, other folks that are playing in major league sport. We get all these stories coming in. And you realize like, wow, this ripple effect is very real. But it's not even us that started it. It's my friend that started a clothing line. So you think about the impact this kid had on starting a clothing line, which, by the way, doesn't exist anymore. It wasn't successful. He just did it for a year or two, and that was it. It created this whole cascade of events that changed the world, you know, because it wasn't even our impact. The, the impact that people are making from like this source of inspiration from the buried life or what have you is far greater than we made. And so, you know, look at you in the podcast, you know, we may have played a small role in that. So there's a ripple there. Totally. The inspiration that you have on your listeners and beyond. I mean, it's, you can't even wrap your head around this idea, but everyone has the power to do that. And the trouble is it's hard to quantify, but it's very real. It's funny. You can go further back, right? Your friend who started the clothing line. Why? Yeah. Yeah. And if you if you go all the way back, I mean, it becomes 
we get into some Buddhist ideas about how the whole world is one giant interconnected, you know, whole, which is quite interesting, but it's really fascinating. And I mean, it could go back all the way to the beginning of time. It does. It must. Yeah, exactly. Causes. So I want to bring the conversation back to this question. What do you want to do before you die? How have you seen people and what are some of the lessons you've seen around how we can more effectively ask ourselves that question and where we can go wrong when we ask it? And where we can go wrong with the answer, did you say? Yes. So I think that, so I'll answer that in two ways. How can we more effectively ask ourselves the question, what do you want, what do you want to do before you die? Or just keep our mortality top of mind. And I think this also comes back to how do we prioritize the things that are truly important in our life? Because that is really what the question, what do you want to do before you die, tries to synthesize. Is if you look at the top five regrets of the dying, there are things that aren't necessarily money-related you know, or power-related. It's things like, I wish I would have spent more time uh, catching up with old friends. I wish I would have worked less. I wish I would have lived the life I wanted, not others. And so how, you know, that's stuff that you sort of, you know, but you lose sight of. So how can you keep this question? What do you want to do before you die? Or this idea of not letting life get in the way of the things that are important to you top of mind. And that is very, there's no golden arrow for that. It's different for everyone. For me, the things that have helped are how can I remind myself that every day is important and that can be making sure that I prioritize the things that I know are important to me and put them in my calendar, whether that's be quality time with people that I care about, whether that's doing activities that I know are going to bring me joy and it's protecting that time like I would protect an important meeting, you know, or X, Y, Z. And letting people know and communicating that this is important and not feeling guilty about it. So a lot of times we feel guilty for taking vacation. We feel guilty for doing things for ourselves. But to understand that in order to do your job at the highest level, you need to take care of yourself. In order to be there for your family, you need to take care of yourself. And so that idea is it's not selfish. It's actually service to be doing the things that are important to you. And I think that this question, what do you want to do before you die, for us really worked because it cut through all the BS and it forced us to look at, okay, we're going to die. What are the things that we want to do? And so I think that where we can go wrong with answering the question is, are you answering it for you or are you answering it for someone else? Because the top regret is living a life someone else wants for you. So are you, are you writing your list? Are you answering this question because you're responding to that urge to please others or to be seen a certain way. And I think a quick way to navigate that is you can actually picture yourself on your deathbed and ask your future self, will I regret not doing this? You know, and if that answer is yes, then, you know, that's a good indication that is probably something you want to try and pursue. And it's probably something that, you know, your true self really, really wants to do. So I think that that's, those are, you know, two ideas to kind of answer that question. Yeah. One of the most insightful things that you talk about when you dig into how we can 
start to create a bucket list or a list of things that we want to do that are really important is having a breadth of topics and categories that you pull from. Tell me mm-hmm. a little bit more about the importance of having the various areas of your life all coalesce into your goals as opposed to just whether it's business or whatever else being the predominant drivers there. Typically, when we think about a bucket list, we think adventure and travel. So skydive, travel to Europe, those types of exciting list items. That's just sort of the knee jerk. And those are awesome list items, but they only represent one category of life. And there's a number of categories of life. You know, some people say there's 10, some people say there's 12, or there's many areas of our life. I like to think about 10 categories of life. And especially when you're writing your list to keep these categories in mind while you're writing your list, because you want your bucket list to reflect all of those things that bring you joy and happiness and be a full reflection of all the things that are going to bring you that fulfillment. So the categories are I actually have some of them written down right here. So there's adventure and there's travel. There's also your physical health. So what are your goals as it relates to your physical health? That can be something like run a marathon or, you know, be vegetarian or pick up tennis again if you haven't played it in a while. There's mental health, you know, so what can you do to increase your emotional or spiritual well-being? There's your intellectual category of life. So what goals do you have for your brain? What do you want to learn? Is it take a certain class or learn a new language, that type of thing? Then there's material which is, by the way, it's fine to have material goals. You know, you want to buy the dream watch or get the house on the beach. I mean, you know, it's absolutely okay to have those types of goals. Professional category of life, what are your professional goals? Your financial category of life, creative, which is one that I spoke about, which is important. And then there's adventure and travel, which I think is at one category. And then giving, which we've talked about, right, which is important to think about. Who do you want to help? How do you want to make an impact? What legacy do you want to leave? Do you want to help someone pursue their dream? And also relationships, which ties into surrounding yourself with people that inspire you. It ties into, you know, your romantic relationships and that type of thing. And so I would suggest that you think about all categories when you're writing your list and pretend that you have unlimited funds. Pretend that you have the ability to do anything when you write your list. And write it in a place that you can keep so that you can revisit your list every couple months or, you know, you want to track it. And I think that it's, it's important to know that your list will evolve and grow as you grow. So, you, you know, if you write something and then two years later you look at it again, you're like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. Take it off the list. Add something else. You know, it will kind of evolve and grow. And this is your roadmap. This is your true north pointing you in the direction of the way that you want to travel when you get buried by the day-to-day, you come back to your list and you make sure that you're on course. And so I think it is a powerful tool. And I think that it's also a powerful tool to use with your family because you can write family bucket lists and identify the goals that your kids have or, you know, your family has. And you can do a summer. I have, you know, parents that do summer bucket lists I have with their kids. I have couples that do couples bucket lists. And it's just a great way to start a meaningful conversation around the things that are important to you and start to take space. Cause in a world where we move so quickly, you know, to stop and slow down and think, okay, wait, what's really important to me right now and start to use the list as a tool to keep you on track. Yeah. I think those are some great insights. And once you have the lens of looking at your life through all of these different filters, you start to see buried opportunities 
to really improve and, and focus. I mean, even uh, I love the suggestion that you just shared of having a bucket list with your significant other. That's something that I've never even thought about doing, but would be a great idea and could probably, my wife and I could probably find all kinds of cool stuff to do and maybe even get more aligned about the direction we want to take our lives. And so mm -hmm. I think those are all some really powerful suggestions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, once you have your list, then you can move into, okay, how are we going to achieve these? And that is, you know, your next step is to share those list items with people that might be able to help you or just your general friends and family and start to break down those goals into smaller goals. So you have, you know, we talked about writing a book. So write a book is on your list. Well, that's a bit of an overwhelming goal. You know, so you know, how do I go about writing a book? Well, you can break it down. Do you know someone that has written a book or do you know someone that knows someone that's written a book? Reach out to them, see if you can, you know, borrow 50 minutes of their time to start asking them some questions about the book publishing process or getting an agent or what have you. That's step one. You know, step two, start writing an overview, write the first page, pick three books that have been influential in your life and reread them. You know, so you want to start to break down those bigger list items into smaller goals and start to build accountability any way that you can. Maybe you can start rewarding yourself for achievements or you can have an accountability buddy check in on you, whether that's your spouse or your friends or someone else, a coach. And so, yeah, it's interesting. And I think one of the things I've been working on that we talked about earlier is I've been putting together all of these ideas into a journal because I think that it's important to have a place that you cherish where you write your list. So you kind of want to keep it for a long time and you want to revisit it. So I've been making this bucket list journal for the last little while. I don't know if it's going to be out by the time this airs, but it will be out shortly. And it's going to be that, have that roadmap with those steps of writing your list, putting them into categories, how to build accountability. So I'm really excited for that because I feel like I haven't had that tool that will allow people to just, you know, use to kind of drive forward. So it's, it'll be cool to have that come up. Yeah, I think that's great. Having a framework that really clearly defines here are the areas that you need to focus on and breaking down those action steps. I mean, one of the things that I've seen almost universally is when I talk to people about their goals and I say, I want you to do an analysis, take your goals and take your calendar for the last month, three months, whatever time period you want to look at and see how much time did you actually spend in your calendar on anything that's on your goal list. And I mean, it's always 5%, 10%, usually less than that. And it's amazing to me how little time we actually spend on the things that we think are the most important things in our life. And that's even assuming that you've actually sat down and defined the things that you think are important, which most people have taken that leap yet either. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think it's important to, to, to put that in your calendar because it's we need to look at it the same way and, and value that time the same way we do our you know professional pursuits. And obviously, you know, there's a priority there, but I think that regardless of, of where you are at, you know, you can look at your week, at your month and say, okay, I know that I can spend one hour a week on this, or I can spend, you know, one weekend a month or whatever it might be. It's different for everyone, but take the time to think about what you could put towards that thing that you want to do. And Put that in your calendar and protect, protect, protect that time just like you would. You know, be vigilant and let people know that it's important to you because people will respect that. You know, your colleagues will respect that. You say, listen, one of my goals is to, you know, 
build a more meaningful relationship with my son. I've committed to going to his soccer practices. I know it's at 4 p.m. on a Thursday. I'm going to have to dip out, you know, but, you know, if you need me, I'll be on at five, whatever. Like people will, they'll respect in most cases your desire to pursue those things because ultimately they're going to have something in their life that they, you know, have deep down been wanting to uncover. And, um, and I think that it will also inspire them to do that as well because this ripple effect goes both ways. There's a ripple effect when you help someone. But one thing that I've realized, which was a big aha moment post buried life is like by doing what you love, you inspire other people to do what they love. And I used to think a bucket list was selfish because it's about you, you know, and then I saw people around the world starting to go after their bucket list because we went after ours. And I think we can all remember, you know, this like someone doing something incredible that's made us feel like, wow, what should I do? And so, you know, you inspire others by pursuing those things that are important to you. And, and that is a powerful idea because it gives you that permission to do those things because it's a win-win. It helps you and it helps other people. So for somebody who wants to get started and take action today to, to begin implementing something we've talked about, writing their bucket list, whatever it may be, what would one action item or piece of homework be that you would give them to get started today? So I would say grab a piece of paper, spend 20 to 30 minutes. You could actually break this down. You could spend the first 15, 20 minutes, however long it takes you to write down everything you've ever dreamed of doing, anything you might regret not doing if you died tomorrow and no limits. You have all the money in the world. You are incredibly gifted. You have the ability to do anything. What would you do? And as sort of a, an exercise in anything is possible, you know, you can start writing your list there. Then you can start to, you know, Google 12 categories of life, 10 categories of life and think about after you've written your list, okay, do I have intellectual bucket list items or the things that I want to learn or are there are any emotional list items? And that will be an exercise to kind of spark some ideas and start to fill out your list in a, in a holistic way. And, and then I would say, once you have that list, I would share it with people that you know. If you want to identify the most important thing on your list, just imagine that you stumble across a magic lamp. And when you rub the magic lamp, a genie pops out and genie says, hey, lucky day, I'm going to make one of your bucket list items that you just wrote down come true. But by doing so, you will not be able to accomplish anything else on your list. You get one wish and nothing else will happen. So what do you choose? Typically, that's the most important thing on your list. And sometimes that isn't written down yet. But that is a, a mechanism to, to sort of whittle down what's truly important. And that might be the list item to share with people. That might be the thing that you start to break down into smaller goals and, and try and build accountability around. You put that in your calendar, spend time working towards. And so, you know, you're going to have to play with different mechanisms of accountability. But accountability works. You know, that's what our professional lives are built around, right? Just structures of accountability, whether it's actual people checking in on you, right? Leaders, or it's just the accountability of or this, this fear of not looking bad, you know, or it's a salary that keeps us accountable or, you know, it's all of these structures of accountability, but we don't have those, you know, around our personal goals. So, you know, we're going to have to get creative and build those around 
these things that we'll regret not doing at the end of our life. And Ben, where can people find you and your work online? You can find me at Ben Nempton. So just my full name. Most of my social handles are just at Ben Nempton or my website, bennempton.com. And I would say, you know what, if you want, I always love to see people's list items. So I would suggest that you share your list and tag us, you know, tag both of us. That would be awesome. Write your list, take a photo, share it on your story or share it on social, tag us so we can see it. That's going to be a great first step to build accountability. You know, maybe we can help in some way. And, you know, I think it will also inspire other people to see your goals. So I think that would be a great next step. I love that. What a great suggestion. And, and, I'm really excited. I can't wait to see some of those get shared. Well, with that, Ben, I really want to thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your story and all this knowledge. Such a powerful journey and and some really important lessons that have come out of everything that you've done. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's been awesome to catch up and hopefully we'll be able to see each other in person soon. And uh, until then. Did you ever watch The Buried Life Show back in the day? It was about 10 years ago, but the show was transformational, incredible to this day, really, really inspirational, like truly had a big impact on me. And some of that probably came across in the interview with Ben, but there was this epic intro song that you cannot find on the internet. Like if you Google around, you try to find it, there's Reddit threads, there's, you know, people asking like, what is this song? Where do I find it? It was like a remix of the song Grits by Ooh Ah. I don't know if you know that song or not. I don't know if you know the remix. Either way, it's something that I've been wanting to ask Ben for almost 10 years. And so I asked him that question. And as a little bonus clip at the end of this episode, here's the conversation we had about it. One other thing that I wanted to ask you about is yeah. like one of the greatest mysteries to me from Buried Life. And this is definitely yeah. not like an interview question, but more just like a personal thing. It was like the Grits remix that you guys had as the intro song was like oh my God, good question. incredible. And it's still like a mystery on the internet. Like it doesn't exist anywhere. How do I get a copy of it? Like that's all. Like I just want that remix of Ooh, ah. it's like all like <laughs> yeah, send so, me the MP3. That's great. <laughs> so the answer is we didn't have enough money to license the grit song as the theme song worldwide. We could license it for US, which means we could it was the song that was played live on television. But if you bought the DVD, if you watched it on Netflix afterwards. It had to be a different song. So we hired someone to remake that. And that was the intro. But he, when you make an intro song, you only make 30 seconds, right? Because it's, yep. it's the intro. So that was a commissioned piece to sound like the grits. <laughs> and it's people always ask for the song. And it's like, well, you know, it's one, it's a difficult thing to explain because you sort of have to understand the nuances of like what licensing music is to begin with but even if you do it's like well we have like the first quarter of the song yeah there is no rest of the song (laughs) yeah there's no rest of the song but i I love that you've wondered that because i think a lot of the people that were you know invested in the show that was something that they that song for us like we knew from the beginning that was our theme song it was just like yeah, it just encapsulated the spirit of what we were trying to do. And we fought so hard to have that be worldwide and in perpetuity. In fact, to the point where we battled to get it at least in Canada, because that's where all our friends were, yep. so that they could listen to that as the theme. But we could only convince MTV to let us. And then all of a sudden, they decided like to let us use Coldplay 
in like some of the trailers and stuff because we had made a trailer they were so excited about and we used Coldplay and they like licensed it. So it was just a, it's a weird world, but yeah, good question. Interesting. That was something that's been plaguing me for a decade. Thank you so much for listening to the science of success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.